I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we are coming to you from the Kodo at the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for November 21st, 2008, and this is part two of our discussion of reincarnation. So uh, last time we talked about reincarnation in a sort of general sense, mm-hmm. um, and I think that this time around we want to get into some more particular aspects of reincarnation, and one of the things we wanted to talk about was uh, the Dalai Lama. Ah, uh, yes. Because the Dalai Lama, as everyone should know, um, is the reincarnation of the previous Dalai Lama, who was the reincarnation of the previous Dalai Lama. <laughs> right. The current one is what? The 14? 14th Dalai Lama? Yeah. So... You were saying, uh, you know, before we were recording about how people don't like to think about reincarnation in, in Buddhism, or there are some people who want to sort of reject reincarnation within Buddhism, but uh, there's a, a big, bright, shining example of reincarnation in Buddhism in the person of the Dalai Lama. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and what does that mean? Yeah. See, I think, personally, I think that uh, um, Dalai Lama may be one area where reincarnation is kind of brought back into the limelight in modern times and like the, an example is Kundun the movie mm-hmm. by Martin Scorsese the kind of biography of the Dalai Lama and one of the great scenes is in the beginning when they um, have this reenactment really of the search for the next Dalai Lama for the current he's current now but you know this is his story of when mm-hmm. he was born and everything and the way they uh, monks go searching off in the countryside looking for babies who had born children who had been born at the right time and taking items that belonged to the previous Dalai Lama and then other items that didn't right and setting them out on a table in front of the kid and the kid reaches for the glasses that belong to him and you know whatever and so the monks get all excited because oh yeah he's the one he's the one like he remembers his stuff right so interesting to me, you know, yeah, that yeah. like this person, like you say, who is revered uh, by so many people in the, the modern world right now. Uh, and a huge part of his daily life. I mean, his yeah, his existence yeah, right, yeah. Is, is tied up with reincarnation. Yeah. And it informs his personality, really. I mean, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, we were talking about like worldviews last time. Right. And mm-hmm, sort of this modern, rational, scientific tendency to just reject this other worldview that takes reincarnation as literally but you know whether or not reincarnation is literal the belief in reincarnation and assuming that that worldview is literal in some sense it you know led to the is the foundation of the whole position of the Dalai Lama Mm -hmm. you know the Dalai Lama has no authority without this assumption that he is the reincarnation of the previous Dalai Lama so I think that, you know, regardless of whether it's literally true or not, um, it certainly has ramifications. <laughs> yeah. And we have a modern day example of uh, people who do believe in it. Mm-hmm. I was reading uh, the um, the Dalai Lama. There's a lot of books with the Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama's names on them. Really? Right? There are? <laughs> um, and they run the gamut from Buddhism and psychology, Buddhism and science, like nice, happy little Buddhist aphorisms. Uh, but 
there's a recent uh, new translation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and the Dalai Lama wrote the introduction, and it's hardcore Buddhist philosophy, and it's awesome. It's great. I mean, and he, there, he asserts that reincarnation and this continuity over lifetimes is true. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away because this is when I was doing some research on reincarnation and do Buddhists believe in it or not and that kind of thing. And so it was great to have in print, right, the, the Dalai Lama saying right. that reincarnation and this continuity is part of Buddhism and is true and real. Yeah. I think the Dalai Lama is a very interesting character, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, apart from any, you know, Buddhist feelings I might have toward the Dalai Lama. Um, as just this character, particularly in the West, this character that we sort of ascribe great meaning and value to and, and hope that he is sort of everything for all people, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Many people will, will say things to me about the Dalai Lama that, you know, they don't, it's clear they don't know anything about the Dalai Lama, but they <laughs> really want to believe that this is somehow, you know, something that they heard that he said or something about him that they heard. They really want that to be true. And therefore that means that all Buddhists are like that. And by extension, you know, this religion of peace is going to unify the world or, you know, things. And it's like, well, that's, I don't want to, you know, dissuade people of those tendencies because, you know, if the Dalai Lama gives you hope and you feel happy and peaceful as a result of that, then great. And it could be worse. It could be a worse person that they're looking up to. <laughs> True. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, but I just, I think it's interesting because I often feel like we sort of ascribe to him a lot of things. Um, in particular, a lot of people are very interested that the Dalai Lama is interested in science, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, the Dalai Lama, you know, loves science. And it's like, well, I'm sure the Dalai Lama does, is interested in science. Um, but that doesn't make him a scientist, first of all. And secondly, as you said, he literally believes in or, you know, believes in the truth of reincarnation, which would seem to contradict, you know, the observable laws of nature or that is to say the scientific method. Um, so from that point of view, the Dalai Lama is a very complicated, very, very, you know, a very human character, right? Who is not like most of us is not consistent, <laughs> Um, you know, is, is, and I mean, that's embodied, I think too. And, um, one part of being the Dalai Lama is that I think that it's understood that you're an incarnation of Avalokiteshvara, right? Of the Bodhisattva of compassion as well. And yet the Dalai Lama will often say, I'm a humble monk. So there's this kind of contradiction built in there, which is cool. I'm yeah, the, you know, yeah. Yeah. That's not to criticize, but yeah. Um, I think that the only thing that I was I was trying to get at is I think the sort of like simplistic ideas or idealizations or interpretations that we have of, Dal- of the Dalai Lama or by extension Buddhism are um, uh, yeah, simplistic. Yeah, you, can, yeah, yeah. you know, they're simplistic and and they betray the deep, complex, nuanced reality <laughs> of different kinds of Buddhism and different kinds of belief. And you know, yes, the the, the Dalai Lama is both the reincarnation of Avalokiteshvara and he's also a, a simple Buddhist monk. And that seemingly contradiction is part of Buddhism, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Sometimes I make sense. (laughs) Not often. (laughs) Um, Another thing that comes up a lot, too, is the Dalai Lama, the spiritual leader of Buddhists worldwide. (laughs) (laughs) Like in the newspaper, like some, you know, article you find online. Right, right. And uh, I think my understanding is that he's the uh, spiritual and... Secular leader, political leader of the Tibetan community in exile. Right. But he's not. And he's not even the spiritual leader of all Tibetans. 
Right. And that's an important point that not all Tibetan Buddhists look up to him. Not all Tibetans are Buddhist. Right. Uh, so it's, it's right. definitely, he's certainly, the, I think, I think you could reason like the argument that he's a secular leader of the Tibetan community in exile, regardless of whether or not you follow him spiritually. Okay. Right. Right. And the Venn diagram of Tibetan Buddhists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, um, the other interesting thing about reincarnation, getting back to more specifically reincarnation, is when I read that statement of his assertion of the truth of reincarnation, I was just, it was just struck me as amazing, you know, because, uh, but part of that is political because his secular power as leader of Tibet, political leader of Tibet, is based in the fact that he is the reincarnation of the previous Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. That, that it's kind of like divine right of kings or whatever. Where does your power, where does your authority come from? Right. In the case of the Dalai Lama, it comes from the fact that you are the actual incarnation, reincarnation of uh, the previous person. Right. And that's true for also Panchen Lama and these other uh, 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 political figures in Tibet. And so the Chinese government, uh, when, when, a, when I, was it the Panchen Lama? It was one of the other lamas and the Dalai Lama recognized a child the Chinese government kidnapped that child, put him in prison, probably never to be seen again if they're still alive, and then put said, oh, no, you're wrong. We have the reincarnation yeah, of yeah. the, the previous that. one, right? Yeah. So reincarnation here has become political, social, uh, real right. in the 21st right. century. Right, and, and it's particularly interesting in the Chinese case, right, because the Chinese government, of course, not only doesn't believe in reincarnation, they don't believe in Buddhism. And believe in religion at all. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, you know, that's what I'm saying about how even if reincarnation is not literal, it certainly has literal ramifications in the real world, you know. And, and that's a perfect case in point where people who don't have any particular belief about these things are nevertheless affected by it. Mm-hmm. So we have to take it seriously. We have to pay attention to it and say, well, you know, people are interpreting it or using it in certain ways. What are we going to do about that? Excellent. And, and simply dismissing it is not literally true isn't going to change anything <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's important then to have an understanding of what the issues are in reincarnation uh, like we mentioned last time the impermanence being one major part uh, and also uh, the uh, ethical or moral side uh, to the teaching of reincarnation and so simply to deny reincarnation without asking questions or right without looking into it more deeply and understanding the system, mm-hmm. whether you believe in it or not, uh, at a certain point, it's no longer adequate to simply sweep it under the rug. Right. Which, yeah, right. You've said, yeah. Yeah. And that's my big, that's one of my big gripes anyway. Yeah. People who just want to like do away with religion as because, it's, you know, do away with religion merely because it's irrational. Well, it might be irrational or illogical, but, you know, people believe this stuff. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And simply trying to convince people that things are irrational isn't going to change that. <laughs> okay. It might not so humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to look at some a little more detail about the kind of ethical side uh, to reincarnation and uh, morality that uh, may be kind of embedded in there. Right. Uh, you mean in the specific realms exactly yeah <laughs> well uh like we mentioned last time there are six realms which are the, the heavenly realms and the ashuras or demigods or fighting gods um humans animals hungry ghosts and hells and the hell realms are um very fascinating to me mm-hmm. um 
I might just be a very dark person. I'm not quite sure what yeah, it I is. I kind of noticed that. <laughs> but I think what I think what's interesting to me about the Hell Realms is that in both in, in the Japanese sources, but also in, in like you were saying last time, the really early poly sources, um, they're incredibly detailed mm-hmm. and highly regimented. Um, and in the, the cosmology of Buddhism, there's actually 16 hells. There's eight hot hells and eight cold hells. And within each of the hells, there's various realms inside of those hells to which you can be reborn for very specific reasons. Um, so it's just one of the things I think is fascinating is just how detailed that is and how, you know, it's not just, you know, oh, you do bad things, you know you're going to go to hell. It's like, well, no, if you do this specific thing, you're going to go to this specific place. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some of them are obvious, like the lowest hell, the worst that you can possibly go to. You can only go there for like killing and raping nuns and monks, like, you know, really bad, terrible stuff, which is obvious. Would that be the Avicii hell? By yeah, the Avicii hell, yeah. And other ones are more, not abstract, but more like there's those there's these really weird stories about um men who are filled with lust or who cheat on their wives or whatever um and there are these stories about how they'll be they'll be born in some place where they're walking through a forest and they'll see on top of the trees they'll see these very beautiful women and they want to have the women because they're so filled with lust that they start climbing the trees but the trees are are covered with like broken glass and, and sharp objects so they get all torn up <laughs> um, and then when they get to the top of the tree the woman's gone and they look down and she's on the ground again so they have to climb back down again and it's just a sort of end, never ending you know repeating cycle um, so lots of weird things like that but I think one of my one of the weirdest ones I saw was that there's a specific hell for people who uh, dam rivers such that downstream villages don't have enough water to uh, irrigate their crops and as a result start famines yeah, which I when when I read that I was like, wow, that's that's very specific. <laughs> yeah. right. So I think that I mean part of this to look at the you know, sort of symbolic um, historical perspective, I think you could probably say that you know you can almost imagine somebody coming to the Buddha or to some Buddhist teacher and saying, you know, hey, so and so landowner upstream, damn the river, and my village has been wiped out. I'm filled with anger and, you know, these, these feelings of wanting to get justice. And then the Buddhist response being, well, because of the law of karma and because of, you know, reincarnation in the next life, this person is going to be reborn to this very particular hell. And, you know, you can almost see that in the, the development of the history of, of this, this kind of story. Right. Um, it's kind of like the Vinaya, the monastic rules. Where right. You see right. some of these rules and you think, Someone did this, huh? Someone did <laughs> this. This was a problem at some point. <laughs> and so the Buddha was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> there's a new rule. <laughs> so I think, you know, that explains some of the complexity of it. But I think that it also clearly points to some of the underlying morality and some of the ethics, right? I mean, if you dam a river so that people are not able to irrigate their crops, that points to that sort of interrelatedness that we have. And that one of the things we should do is be aware of the world around us and the other people in it. Right. And I think all of the stories sort of point to this underlying Buddhist morality, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I like talking about the six realms is because you can look at these stories and say, uh-huh, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I know is a little weird, but. Well, but it, that's part of what um, we lack in this country is uh, a, a, a nuanced understanding of Buddhist ethics. Mm. And so, yeah, I think you're right that the um, 
reincarnation does have has played a major role in that in in buddhist ethics so yeah yeah i think it's just i think that sometimes people look at these things as like mythology and we don't you know in the the sort of modern rational scientific age we don't like to think about mythology right that these things aren't literally true so it doesn't really affect us that kind of thinking or the idea like we were saying before about how you know you don't want to scare people into following buddhism right you don't want to like say ah do good things you're gonna go to hell you know that just sounds like uh well that's a lousy reason to follow the buddhist path but at the same time i think you could still use some of these stories and you know not take them literally even though you know whatever but i think that you could still use the stories and sort of say how well this is how the buddha's interpreted certain kind of behavior Mm -hmm. and why it is this way Mm That brings up a couple of points uh, for me. Uh, one is that it's important to remember that the Buddhist goal is not to get a good rebirth. Mm. The ultimate goal is not to get to heaven or human life or whatever. The ultimate goal is to escape this cycle of rebirth. Right. And so uh, some people have an idea of reincarnation that eh, if you don't do it right this time, then you, maybe you'll get it right next time or you know, I really messed up this time, but I'm looking forward to that next life when I can really do it right or have fun or whatever. And that's not the Indian view of reincarnation, (laughs) right? Right, The Indian view and the Buddhist view is that reincarnation is not good. Yeah. Uh, That's something that you uh, don't want to be stuck in. And so liberation or enlightenment or attaining Buddhahood or arhatship or whatever, attaining nirvana would be the the correct goal to actually try and escape from uh, samsara. Then there's issues of, well, then what happens after you attain nirvana? And so I don't we can get into that some other time. But Have we ever done a podcast on what is nirvana? Oh, no. Maybe that's like another one we can do. Huh, all right. That'd be good. Um, one other point I wanted to make is that I've kind of realized that there are two basic kinds of morality in Buddhism, too. There's a kind of negative morality hmm. that we've been talking about here, where if you do certain acts, it will result in this horrible suffering. So don't do it. Right. Do not kill. Do not steal. Right. Um, right. That kind of thing. Right. But I think there's also a positive ethics in Buddhism of compassion. Yeah. And the Jataka tales that you mentioned, actually, of the Buddha's Shakyamuni Buddha's previous lives and how right. all the compassionate acts that he performed. So that's another reincarnation is still involved there, though, huh? That the path to Buddhahood is not taken traditionally did not take place in one lifetime. It took place over innumerable lifetimes. Right. The, the, the possibility of getting enlightenment in this lifetime was what you wouldn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. It's going to take, an, you know, millions and millions of years before you're finally at that point where you're even close to getting enlightened. Full enlightenment of Buddha. Right. Right. I think the, um, the early notion of the awakening of the Arhat was attainable. Mm-hmm. Although there, there are all these stream enterer, right? You yeah. enter the stream towards attaining nirvana, but there's also once returner. Right. right. And there's also, idea. I mean, there's also stories of the Buddha saying, you know, because you have responsibility in this life, you shouldn't even try to be a renunciant, right? Mm-hmm. You should stay with your family or you should, you know, you're not quite whatever the reason is. And so there's other practices you can do as a lay person, which are just as important but those practices that generate merit are, it's assumed that those practices are going to have their karmic fruition in some future life. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, you know, reincarnation is a very important part mm-hmm. of the path of practice. Um, another uh, point that uh, 
We had a question asked about the 12-fold chain of causation. We did, we did. Yeah. From a, a listener named John from Decatur, Illinois. We have fans in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And we addressed 12-fold chain of causation at one point. Sort of. In um, yeah. talking about interdependence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we realized that it kind of relates to this discussion as well, this discussion of uh, reincarnation. So the 12-fold chain of causation is... Um, this is a, not a, a very good list, but I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it a try. Um, the twelve fold chain begins with ignorance, um, specifically ignorance of the four noble truths and in, in, in the Buddha Dharma, um, which leads to formation, to consciousness, to name and form, which are the five skandhas, uh, to the six bases, which I think is I'm not even sure. <laughs> um, I think that's literally your body. Um, which that turns in turn leads to contact, uh, which leads to sensation, which leads to craving, to clinging, to a new becoming, um, which then is followed by birth, old age, and death. Mm. So numbers 10, 11, and 12 there are all about reincarnation. Yeah. Um, and it says so specifically in this book I'm reading, um, where it says that the clinging and the craving and all of that Clinging is specifically to a womb where a new becoming is set in motion. Wow. So part of the 12-fold chain of causation is directly related to your karmic conditioning, consciousness, whatever it is, finding a new body mm-hmm. to be reborn into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, we, we can't really answer, like, get into the details of a lot of those stages, but yeah. it's obvious that uh, one huge part of that doctrine is about the cycle of rebirth right and it's related to the four noble truths that the, the second and third ones that state that suffering is caused by desire and ignorance but you can turn that around if you can remove desire and ignorance then you can right. remove suffering and that's Same part of the whole thing the with 12-fold chain. chain is that yeah. once you get rid of desire and ignorance then the whole chain falls apart and you've undone the 12-fold chain of causation and you're freed from the realm of the samsaric realm of rebirth Ta-da. That is exactly what the Buddha was talking about. Right. He was talking about uh, escaping from the endless round of birth and death. And so to say that Buddhism doesn't have anything to do with reincarnation and he never taught that to me is absurd because it's built into the entire worldview that he was trying to uh, escape from or, or transcend. Right. Yeah. Maybe we don't have to emphasize it so much in our modern times because it doesn't really make sense for a lot of people. So uh, I think in, in modern times, we don't really use it, uh, the doctrine so much. Right. But uh, at the same time, you know, if we're going to, you know, if you're going to take the, the, the idea of reincarnation or of samsara in a, a non-literal and a symbolic or metaphorical sense, then it would seem to me that you would take the 12-fold chain in a non-literal sense as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in that case, then it's not so much that you're being reborn into a new body, but that each moment, and I think I've seen some of these interpretations where each moment is another rebirth, right? That each moment of your life is this sort of reenactment of this well-fold chain of causation. Each moment you start off in ignorance and end up with a new, literally like a new body. Mm-hmm. And that if you can stop that in this life and stop acting from a point of view of ignorance, then that undoes the chain in a non-literal sense here in this life. Mm-hmm. The twelve-fold chain is hard. Yeah. <laughs> the crazy thing is, um, I think I mentioned it in that previous episode too. Uh, one of the um, Japanese scholars, Nakamura, I think it is, 
Nakamura Hajime has this book on called Gautama Buddha, I think it's called, and it's him trying to look at all the um, early texts related to the Buddha's life and comparing them to try and get towards uh, some kind of kind of um, more uh, what do you call it, objective view mm-hmm. of the life of the Buddha. But one of the sections he talks about what was the content of Buddha's enlightenment, and a lot of texts it was twelvefold chain of causation, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's fundamental. Uh, so maybe maybe at some point in the future we should look into it more, uh, but not right now. We, we need to do more research. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, John. Keep uh, listening. Yeah. Uh, one, just to go back to hell just a little bit, there's an interesting <laughs> Let's uh, go back to hell. Japanese film called Jigoku, mm. which is the Japanese word for hell and uh, pronunciation of the Chinese word. And it's an interesting movie. It's dark, uh, but it's really interesting to me that this film, which with, with uh, very explicit Buddhist themes, uh, was produced in Japan in the 60s. Was it the, the Kurosawa film? No, not oh. Kurosawa. Um, I forget the uh, the director's name, but he's kind of a well-known horror director from uh, that time. Okay, and it's okay. a horror movie. I mean, it's got yeah. like you know people dressed up as demons and stuff. Because Kurosawa has one as well. Called Jigoku. No, 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 no. It's uh, same idea. Sort of, it's the movie has like six or seven vignettes of that are supposed to be representative of different realms of, of rebirth. Oh wow! And and the the but it's. I never saw that. It's much more metaphorical. Like the the hell realm is like a post-apocalyptic Japan. Um, and then the, the heavenly or the, not the, not the heavenly realm, but the realm of enlightenment is like this, uh, idyllic sort of man in the countryside with, you know, sort of rejecting society and all that kind of stuff. So it's a much different take on it, but okay, okay. no, this is like this family that does horrible things to each other for the first half. So the first half is like, looks like a regular movie, but this kind of devil character kind of keeps appearing and urging the main character on to do horrible, horrible things. And they all betray each other. The second half of the movie is them just like crawling around in hell, <laughs> being tortured. <laughs> really interesting. I sorry I gave it away. I have to put spoiler alert on the um, for this, but uh, I got it on DVD, so it's available. Wow. Um, but so in Japan, I think in Asia, these ideas are still around. Right. Right. right? And we're even up till 20th century. We're still informing uh, the consciousness you know japanese pop culture culture or whatever uh, they're they're in there so it's neat and i think they're in, they've come into uh western culture as well well we still have lots more that we could talk about uh, but i think we're gonna have to wrap up this episode Thank you for listening. This has been part two of our discussion of reincarnation.